the classic problem that parents nowadays have of, do I pick up my kid's phone and spot check it? Like, how do I keep them safe, right? So there's that, and then combine that with just the high amount of school shootings, the incredibly high amount of teen suicide and other mental health factors. And putting all that together, the reason those last two are related is that it's both a problem and in some ways it's the cause, but it's also there's an opportunity for intervention because about 80% of the time when there's a school shooting or a suicide attempt, there's actually digital signal in a text message or a social media message or something else. Welcome Getting There fans, I'm your host Alejandro Garcia Maya. 59% of U.S. teens have been bullied or harassed online and 1.1 million attempt suicide every year. On today's show we have Brian Basin, CEO at Bark, the tech company using artificial intelligence to help parents monitor children's texts and social media networks to detect for any potential safety concerns. In this episode, Brian and I go over how to keep our children safe online, and he answers a number of questions, such as, does Bark actually give children more privacy? How does Bark know when to notify a parent or a teacher? How does Bark help parents and teachers handle delicate situations after awareness is created? How has Bark helped prevent 16 school shootings? Join us in our conversation. Let's do this. What does success mean to you? whether it's business or personal, whichever one, or both? Yeah, I'd say it's interesting how that's changed for me over time a little bit. Certainly, it's morphed a little bit more on the financial side where it was younger in my life to now more on the social impact side. You know, I've done a handful of startups before my current one, Bark, and certainly proud of all of those. And I would say they were successful, some to differing degrees financially and in other ways. But I started Bark largely because I felt like there was a tremendous social need that needed to be met. And when I fast forward the tape and think, all right, when I'm, I don't know, 70, 80, and my kids and my grandkids maybe are saying, hey, what are you proud of? I suspect it's not going to be necessarily solely, at least, a financial answer. I think Mm. it'll be more about, well, we've sent tens of thousands of alerts about imminent self-harm or suicide, and we help legitimately save kids' lives, and we help prevent some school shootings and things like that, that I think just fundamentally, that feels more like success to me than Mm. the financial metrics. What does Spark do and what problems are you solving? We're actually trying to solve kind of a wide array of problems. So we've touched on a couple of them. So I started the company selfishly because I didn't see great tools for how to parent my own children when it came to technology. So the classic problem parents nowadays have of, do I pick up my kid's phone and spot check it? Like, how do I keep them safe, right? So there's that, and then combine that with just the high amount of school shootings, the incredibly high amount of teen suicide and, and other mental health factors. And putting all that together, the reason those last two are related is that it's both a problem, and in some ways it's the cause, but it's also there's the opportunity for intervention. Because about 80% of the time when there's a school shooting or a suicide uh, attempt, there's actually digital signal in a text message or a social media message or something else. And so that means if you're looking in the right place, there's an, er- an opportunity for intervention. So putting all of that together, it was kind of the impetus to start Bark. So Bark, in a nutshell, we algorithmically analyze text messages, social media, and email, both text, video, image, audio, content across about 30 different platforms. And we then alert the right people at the right time so they can intervene. What qualifies cyberbullying? What is cyberbullying? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And there's certainly different definitions. An easier definition is mean or harassing messages mm-hmm. that cause some emotional pain in, in someone else. So it's, if cyberbullying is causing pain, is that spreading rumors online or hurtful messages? How do you begin understanding where to even look? Yeah, so we've taken an approach that we try to actually understand things contextually. So there's a challenge with given that there's a huge amount of volume, right? So kids, you think about how many uh, messages you, but even worse for kids, the volume of how much is being sent and received constantly across a variety of platforms. Mm -hmm. So the challenge is you analyze all of these messages is how do you kind of filter the signal from the noise and do something appropriate with that? And so we've trained our algorithms using some pretty advanced machine learning techniques around context. And so this is sort of our technical secret sauce. A lot of people might think, well, we'll flag keywords or build some naive models that'll, again, flag keywords or some Mm -hmm. phrases. But if you think about something like, oh, at school today, I tripped in front of that girl I really like and I want to kill myself. That's Mm -hmm. very different than my life is meaningless and I want to kill myself. Mm -hmm. It's the same phrase in there, but it has a very different meaning because of the context. And so what we do is we actually have data annotators that constantly annotate conversations. And by annotate, I mean, they label it. We have a predefined set of rules by which we define conversations. And then we ingest that into a recurrent neural network algorithmic training environment. And we pull all those conversations in and the machine basically learns what constitutes bullying or what constitutes depression or self-harm or any of the other things that we look for, online predators or sexually explicit content. Now, it takes a lot of data to get very good at this. And so we've invested Mm. over the past four, pushing four and a half years now, in hand labeling millions of conversations under a strict set of criteria to get really good at training the machine so that it can understand that that level of context. In terms of your process, I see monitor, detect, alert. Can you walk us through what that process looks like and how's that experience as a parent? The monitor side, as a parent, you work with your child to connect up to 30 different platforms that we support. So again, iOS or Android text messaging, Snapchat, Instagram, email, et cetera, YouTube. And then all of those things, we're constantly analyzing the activities going on there. And we then send those alerts to parents when there's something problematic. One important distinction is that we don't give parents full access just to read all of their kids' messages. So our view is we're trying to empower kids to have a level of privacy and empower parents and kids to have a level of trust and have better dialogue when there are things they need to talk about. And so we actively don't want this and have set it up so that parents can't use it as a way just to spy on their kids per se. So that's the trade-off. So as a parent, if you get an alert, we do give you a chunk of the conversation that's relevant so that you have context for what's going on. And that not only what the conversation is, but also the metadata around it. So who the conversation was with and what platform it was on, what time it was sent, that kind of stuff. So you see that alert. And then we also give you recommended actions on how to deal with that issue. So a lot of parents, they're surprised by whatever the issue is that we send, and they may not know where to start. So we give some helpful resources that you can use, ways to talk to your child about the issue, et cetera, to kind of start that conversation. So let's say I'm a parent, I go to embark.us, and if I want to sign my kid up, how does it actually work? What do the steps look like? Do I have to place the login and password of each one of these? platform. So if let's say like Facebook. So a parent, especially if younger kids, sometimes they do have logins. In that case, though, we do encourage parents, talk to your child, don't just sign them up and do this without their knowledge. 
Again, it's not necessarily a great spy tool anyway, but it's certainly, we view this as a teachable moment. Sit down and talk to your child about what's going on. In the same way that you teach your child, look both ways when you cross the street or wear a seatbelt when you're in a car. Sit down and talk about digital safety and use this as a teachable moment. So a parent can either do this themselves if they have the login and access to the device. If most parents, though, choose to send either a text message or an email to their child and have them do it asynchronously. Again, it's sort of a way to say, look, I trust you. I want to give you your space, but we need to set this up in such a way that if there's a severe issue, I'll know about it. We can work together on it. So that's another mechanism that a lot of parents use so that they don't have to do it. Some parents choose to sit down at the computer at the same time with their child and let them type in the various passwords. But to answer your question, technically, yes, somebody has to connect a Facebook account or whatever it is to our platform by a one-time authentication. So email and password typically. We don't store that. We get a token from Facebook in that example to be able to fetch that child's messages from then on out. And you have access to all these different social media channels, but it's up to a parent and their child to figure out what channel it is that they want to select, right? So let's say if, if my child uses Instagram, but it's not really big on Facebook, they can just choose Instagram and not have to be on Facebook. That's right. Yeah. Again, we support 30 platforms. You can choose which ones are relevant to you. We also alert parents if their child is on an app maybe that they didn't know they were on. So we've alerted parents that their 10-year-old had downloaded Tinder, for example. There's a parent you probably want to know about. We do that as well. And that again, it, the idea is how do we empower parents to have better conversations about digital safety with their kids? You had mentioned about the alerts that a parent would receive. How do you know what the recommendations look like in terms of what would be the next steps the parents could take? At the very beginning of the company, we set up an advisory board with child psychologists and researchers and basically set up some best practices for parents. And it's actually a pretty large matrix of possibilities. So because it depends, the recommended actions depend on the age of the child and whether they're either kind of the victim of something like, say, cyberbullying or whether they're actually the bully, right? We have different Mm. recommendations based on kind of which direction that's flowing. So depending on the type of thing and also the age of the child. I never even thought about it that way. Right. What if your child is the bully? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, look, actually, a lot of times when kids are being bullied, sometimes they then take out their aggression by being a bully in other contexts. So it's not uncommon to see both, actually. And obviously, these things tie together. I mean, we started at the top talking about school shootings and suicide. And certainly many of the times, these other issues such as bullying or other issues those are the precursor in some cases to that. I mean, certainly that, that's not always the case. And, and in most mm-hmm. cases, it doesn't escalate to that degree. But it is true that most of the time, one or more of those factors was at play. And so our hope is that by helping parents kind of have the conversations at an earlier stage, we're actually able to help downstream prevent things from escalating. Do they actually get connected with a child psychologist, depending on the scenario or situation? Or is it just recommendations of certain steps and things they need to do that were provided by best practices, I guess, from child psychology? Yeah, mostly the latter. Although we do, we have a partnership with Talkspace now, which has a online therapy program specifically geared for teens. So through that, Spark users can get a significant discount for that. So we are starting to partner with folks who provide the actual downstream therapy or other intervention. Does Bark aim to be on the conservative side? In other words, would you prefer to not notify a parent of an emergency, even if you're not 100% sure 
Yeah, it's a great question. And certainly we're very transparent that really nothing in life is 100%. But certainly when you're talking about the nuances of language and context, we think we're very good at it. And I think statistically, we've proven that, that we're very good at it. But yeah, certainly not 100%. We do tend to err on the side of false positives rather than false negatives, which means mm. as a parent, you may get one or two things here or there that maybe you didn't need to get. But we do deem that better than the alternative, which is maybe missing something. Now, again, nothing's going to be 100%. What we also do, though, is we provide parents sensitivity settings that allow them to tailor what they want to see. So most mm. of the time when a parent says, you know, hey, I didn't really need to get that alert, it's not because it was flagged incorrectly. It's because it simply wasn't relevant to them, given their specific cultural beliefs or their the age of the child or other factors. I mean, certainly as a parent, some things that you might want to know about when your child is eight is not true when they're 16. And mm. so we allow parents to kind of dial in to kind of better get the types of alerts that they want and obviously provide as much privacy relative to, to the child. What do some of those settings look like? And so for each type of thing that we scan for, so cyberbullying, sexually explicit content, online predators is pretty binary. Actually, you can't turn that one off if, if the child's being <laughs> Right, but that's pretty serious. That setting, yeah, the ones that have settings are depression and cyberbullying and sexually explicit content and drug and alcohol use and things like that. Now, for the same reason, we don't allow the really severe things to be turned off. But as a parent, you can say, basically, on one end of the spectrum, only give me the severe stuff. To the other end of the spectrum, give me the less severe things. And again, that's usually most relevant for depending on the age of the child. Um, Mm. Maybe when you're eight or nine, you want to know about certain things so you can help have conversations with them and help kind of guide them. But when they're older, you don't need to see those and and you trust your child to, to be able to handle those situations on their own. Can you talk more about Bark for Schools and what you're doing there? Absolutely. So the backstory, I mean, what we've been talking about so far is our family product, which is $9 a month and covers individual accounts and devices. In the first three years of running the business, we helped intervene in in about nine different school shooting situations where we escalated threats to the FBI. They went and made an arrest and were able to intervene. Wow. So we certainly can't solve this problem, but we felt like we could have a dent in this problem. And we wanted to figure out how do we scale that? How do we make that dent bigger? Right. And we were kind of contemplating this right around the time that the shooting at Parkland Mm. happened. And as with the whole country, we were just incredibly saddened by that event. And so we said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to give, we're going to take the same technology that we built for the parent product and we're going to give it to schools for free. So this is a way that we can give back and we can make sure that all kids have some level of coverage. So the school product, again, same underlying technology, but we apply it towards accounts and devices that schools give kids. So Mm. schools will give a child an email address and Google Drive and Google Docs and a Chromebook, things like that for school. We monitor all that stuff for schools. And that's again, that's totally free. We've also recently added on a content filter as well that schools can use totally for free too. So they can set up kind of the access policies for what types of sites kids should be able to kind of browse for on the school's Wi-Fi or on a, on a Chromebook. So that's all completely free. And we've gone, and we launched that about a year ago. We've gone from zero to about three and a half million kids that are on that product now. Wow. So one year, we're, we cover about 10% of the districts in the US. And yeah, it's definitely met that's a specific incredible. need. And we're, we're really happy to do it. So it's been a pretty significant investment that we've made, but we love it because it's enabled, again, a lot of kids whose maybe their only device is the school issued device. You know, now that child has a level of protection through our product that otherwise they may not have been able to have. What do you usually hear from parents that are not 
keen with this type of technology, whether it's Bark or whatever's coming in the future when it comes to privacy and their kids and monitoring? What do you often hear and what are your thoughts with that? Certainly, we're trying to walk a line between privacy and security, right? And it's not always an easy line and people come down on different sides of the fence there and we totally respect that. Our view is that statistically, parents need to know about certain things that they otherwise won't know. So if, if we do sometimes hear parents say, well, I'm just going to trust my kids. I'm not going to pick up their phone. I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to give them this device and let them run. And the downside of that is, as you pointed out you know, earlier, there's 1.1 million suicide attempts each year by teens and tweens. And that's a significant amount, right? And so as a parent, it's not just suicide risk. It's also bullying that maybe they're not comfortable coming to you. Just in the last couple of weeks, we've helped work with the FBI to catch 70 child predators. I think a lot of these things, people don't realize the scope of the problem or the commonality of some of these problems. So that's what we try to explain in response to somebody who says, you know what, Bark sounds cool, but it's not for my kids. My kids are good kids. We don't need this. That's great. Your kids are good. And hopefully you never get any of these types of alerts. Yeah. But it, oftentimes it's not just them. It's actually the circle of friends. So we've had many times where it's not the child of, the pers- of our customer who's suicidal, but it's one of their friends. And they are now in the position as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old where they're playing therapist to somebody who's suicidal. And I've gotten through that as an adult, and it's extremely difficult. I can't imagine trying to talk your friend out of committing suicide at age 12. And so there's sort of this halo effect that, that it has. And so even if your kids are good, and even if they break, they defy all of the statistics, and they never have an alert, chances are their friends will, and, and they're going to need some help in navigating that. With the 16 school shootings that you've prevented, is there one that you can share with us or walk us through a scenario that occurred? How did it actually function for that particular situation? Yeah. So first of all, I I would never say that we prevented them because it's a huge team effort. And I view us as a very, actually pretty small, I think it's an important piece, but a very small piece of the overall equation because really the FBI, other local law enforcement, parents, schools, to my mind, they all do the hard work here. But the one example I'll share is one that's actually really close to home. I just put my younger son on the bus for school and I was making some eggs for breakfast and my older son's getting ready in the morning before he's got to catch his bus. Mm -hmm. And basically what happens is when the algorithm flags something that is a potential school shooting threat, it escalates to our crisis response team. And then they kind of make a determination as to whether it needs to go to law enforcement or not. And so I saw that come through and immediately was struck by the fact that it was, I didn't know exactly where, but literally within a 20 mile radius, I knew it had to be just based on some of the things that came through. So I just put my son on the bus to school and immediately, so it was very personal. It's always heartbreaking. And we've been on the phone with a lot of distraught parents and schools and dealt with a lot of crazy issues with the FBI and other law enforcement. But this one was particularly difficult because it was so close to home. And so it turned out it was not either of my son's schools, but it was one that was very close uh, nearby. And so we followed the same protocol we always would. And we got in touch with one of the FBI agents that was on duty at the time. They immediately escalated it with local law enforcement. We all contacted the school and they went and and were able to make an arrest before before anything happened. So thankfully it was a a tragedy that was averted, but it was particularly scary for me just knowing that I may have just put my son on the bus to the school that we just flagged the potential shooting at. Have you gotten feedback from kids 
<laughs> like from the children's perspective with your children, I'm sure they know what you're up to with Bark. What are their thoughts? Yeah, so it sort of runs the gamut. We have certainly some kids who are not fans of ours, and I can appreciate that. <laughs> I think it is the nature of kids to want to push boundaries, and this is part of growth. I think it's also human nature to not want to be monitored and to want some freedom. And so we respect that. And again, we're trying to walk a line where we provide as much of that to a child as possible while still making sure that important stuff is surfaced. So my kids, along with, I think, the vast majority of kids can see that both sides of that equation and, and understand that. And in fact, I will say when we've pulled kids, the vast majority of them report getting more privacy with Bark than they had previously because their parents are no longer picking up their phone and manually spot checking it. So that's kind of the trade-off. Our goal long-term, though, is to continue to figure out ways that we can provide more value to families more holistically. So threat detection is the first thing that we've started with, obviously making sure that important things are surfaced and that they can be dealt with. But the next phase is how do we equip people to have better communications? I think it'd be really interesting to know, just as an adult even, like if my communication habits have changed with any one individual. Maybe I used to send a text message once a week to my child letting him know I love him. And for some reason in the last month, it's only been once a month. Why is that? Understanding how those patterns mm. merge and, and change over time, I think can be very powerful for helping families have better communications and, and just better dialogue about issues. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciated. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world-pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.